Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. In this episode, fit happens. The key is what do we do when the fit hits the shan? Today, we're going to talk about some common disasters that happen while brewing and what to do when it happens to you. Happen, happens to me? Are you implying that uh, that I'll do something wrong? I'm implying we all do something wrong. <laughs> yeah. But uh, before we tell you how crazy we get, please listen to these messages from our sponsors. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Up your IPA game with homebrewing techniques, craft beer clone recipes, and a free book from the American Homebrewers Association. Push your brews to the limits with Brewing Eclectic IPA by Dick Cantwell. Or dive into the science and history with IPA, brewing techniques, recipes, and the evolution of India Pale Ale by Mitch Steele. Join for one year and receive your choice from 60 different brewing books. Head to homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for offer details. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. Welcome back. As always, if you interact with any of our sponsors, make sure you tell them that you heard about them here on the Brew Files so they know they're spending their money less foolishly than they possibly could be. Disasters. And, Denny, you have a word about disasters in homebrewing, don't you? We like to call them disasters, uh, but, you know, I don't know of any time multiple people have ever been killed in a homebrewing accident. Uh, disasters is a bit hyperbolic, but, you know, what the heck, it, it's all for fun. But let's just say problems. Mistakes, accidents, yeah. incidents, yeah, things that require an OSHA form. <laughs> yeah, right. So the key to managing any sort of incident during your brew day is to recognize what can actually befall you and try and plan ahead so that you can calmly and very deftly handle it. Right? There, there is no situation that you cannot handle. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> there, there are a few situations. Yes, there are a few situations that you cannot handle with a little bit of foresight, a little bit of planning, and a little bit of thinking and keeping awareness about you. Yeah, exactly. 
Now, and the reason why, even though Denny's right, you know, multiple people have not died thanks to homebrewing accidents. Um, the reason that we have to be careful here is you have to keep in mind what we're dealing with. We are dealing with loads of hot water, right? Lots of heat energy, possibly open flames, or if you're not doing open flame brewing, electrical appliances that are all situated around lots of water. So yeah. there's lots of opportunities for things to go wrong. And really, the key is, the very, very first key, the thing you have to do is really the best way to make sure that a disaster doesn't befall you is to make sure it doesn't happen. What's the the old phrase? Prevention is worth an or ounce of prevention, pound of cure? Yep, that's correct. And that equally applies here. So uh, aphorisms are aphorisms, and sometimes they're actually true. My my friend Ben Franklin said that. Oh, I thought it was Mark Twain. Oh, maybe so. I knew him too. <laughs> I was going to say, hey, both of you on the comment. <laughs> this is, Denny and I have, have preached this rule many, many times. We have gotten pushback many, many times about this rule. The best way that you can prevent a disaster, quote unquote, during a brew day is to not drink while brewing. We know it's the no fun rule, but here we are. And we both have a rule. Basically, it's no drinking until we're done, right? Yeah. And we have different definitions of it because we also brew differently. Uh, <laughs> Denny, you're an early morning brewer, right? Yeah, I, I usually try and get started by 8.30 or 9. Yeah, and 8.30 or 9, I've just fed the dogs. I'm probably about halfway through my second cup of coffee. In my case, I typically don't brew, start brewing until about noon, uh, you know, because I use the morning to handle life, so to speak. Our definition of done differs a little bit, some driven by time, because uh, I think even as enthusiastic as Denny is about beer, I don't think outside of, say, maybe conference, Denny is necessarily going to start pounding a pint of beer at 10 a.m. No, and I don't even do that at the conference anymore. There you go. For me, when I say done, I mean that I've got everything on what I call the downslope. I'm in the boil. I've got all my hops weighed out. Fermenters are clean. Chillers are ready to go. Pretty much everything's on autopilot, right? I don't have to think too hard anymore to make sure that something doesn't go pear-shaped. Uh, and then I'll allow myself to have a beer. And if I do allow myself to have a beer, it's a beer, right? I'm not talking, okay, great. The tabs are open here. Let's slam some pints of IPA. I'm talking, let's have a beer. We sip on the beer. Go crack a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, something, right? Denny, I think you you wait until you're completely done and clean, right? Yeah, man, because, you know, clean. I mean, I like to leave the brewery clean, everything put away, ready to go. And I just find doing work like that to be way too difficult and boring if I've been drinking. You know, I don't do a good job with things. Uh, I want to just walk out and leave it. So I would rather just spend an extra 20 minutes getting all the stuff in, in order so that uh, my OCD uh, self can deal with it and then go have a beer, you know, not have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. get the kettles sprayed out, put them upside down so they drip dry, all that sort of fun yep. stuff. Yep. Um, I will also say the other thing that puts a damper on the drinking spirit for me, at least, is when I'm brewing, a lot of times I'm actually brewing during the work week because I'm working here at home. Uh, and uh, my bosses are cool. I like my bosses. Don't necessarily think my bosses would be very cool with two pints of beer during a workday. <laughs> well, and you never know when they're going to be calling you to do something either. All right, I know. There are going to be some of you out there who are going to be saying to yourselves, but I must sacrifice beer to the beer gods lest they be angry and ruin my batch of beer. 
Yeah, I can hear wait, the wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second. We all know that's not true. <laughs> that That is just an excuse for you to start drinking. So, you know, just pay attention to that and think about, you know, if you really need to have a beer, if you can wait a couple hours, and if maybe your experience and your batch will turn out better because you didn't drink. Your choice. That's the way I look at it. Absolutely your choice. The only thing that we can say is that we know that between the two of us, our rate of instance went down drastically when we stopped drinking heavily during the brew sessions. So just Well, keep- you know, maybe yours, but believe me, I can have incidents drunk or sober. Oh, I know, but I'm just saying the rate went down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's probably true. Uh, I have to admit that the day that I almost set my pants on fire, I had been drinking. There you go. And of course, the other rule also applies that if you are having a brew session with like multiple people, just treat it like a party. Don't worry so much about the beer. I know you, yeah. I know Denny's done that. I've done that. Yeah. It's how yeah. it works. Sometimes it is just the party and the, the brewing's the background. But if you're seriously brewing for the beer, really consider knocking off for a bit. And with that in mind, you know, as we know, ethanol is a dilutive substance. It sort of uh, distracts us from what we're doing and it distracts us from our our minds, our cares, our troubles, or whatever. And that also includes what we're doing in front of us. So almost everything that we talk about here, all of these sorts of mistakes, screw-ups, disasters, accidents, whatever you want to call them, happen because we stop paying attention and thinking through what we're doing. This is true, by the way, not just a brewing. This is true pretty much universally. Almost every accident that's out there in the universe is probably because somebody's mind was going someplace else at the time instead of focusing on the task at hand. And driving, you know, <laughs> cooking, anything that you want to picture, picture, it probably happened because you weren't paying attention. Whether you want to call it mindfulness, whether you want to call it keeping your head in the game, don't allow your brain to wander over the, please hear the big air quotes here, busy time of brewing because that is what will cause a problem to happen. Again, brewing is two hours worth of work crammed into eight hours of time. <laughs> yeah, really. And and plan ahead. Uh, the more you plan, the less surprises you're likely to have. So having said all that, keep your, keep your head in the game. Pay attention and think ahead about what you're doing. Here are some of the common things that can go wrong, and here's how we like to deal with them. So the first one is the mystery bag of ingredients. Can't tell you how many times I've done this, but because Danny and I both keep sort of a small homebrew shop size supply of ingredients on hand. You know, things get sent to us. We go buy things so that we can, you know, make a beer ahead of time, you know, or be ready to go make a beer whenever the mood strikes us. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've done this where I've gone, okay, well, those are going to be the hops for this batch of beer. That's the grain for this batch of beer. No problem. I got this, I got this wired, right? Walk away, come back in a week and go, shoot, I don't remember what that bag is for or what's in that bag. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Happens to me all the time. So I will just say, and again, this will be a theme in the, in the show. Do your future self a big favor. Break out a Sharpie for two seconds. Go and label things. (laughs) Yeah. Save yourself a lot of uh, agonizing later on. I know because I do this. I, I still do this. I've done this so many times and I will still do this. You say to yourself, okay, no problem. I got that wired. I know exactly what that is. I'm not going to forget what that is. Dummy, you're going to forget what that is. So help your future self. Take a moment. Use a Sharpie. 
Yeah, man. You know what? And I've, I've labeled, I've like two things that look the same. I will label, just say just one of them thinking, well, then I, I know that the one I labeled is this, but then I forget which one it was. So <laughs> don't, don't just write on them with a Sharpie, write something informative that you'll be able to understand later. Yeah. Remember, remember that spongy noodle that sits on top of your brainstem. It's not actually very smart. <laughs> yeah. All right. The other one that I see all the time, and this is particularly true of newer brewers, but still happens to me sometimes, is the too much of a good thing mistake. Uh, and this is definitely in the pre-planning uh, stages of everything, aka over-exuberance with your ingredients. Uh, we've talked in the past on the show about me trying to make a porter according to that traditional recipe of a third brown, third amber, third pale, without knowing that modern brown malt was something different and using <laughs> a third of the grist as brown malt and produce something that was absolutely horrible. This over-exuberance, though, doesn't just have to be that sort of thing. It can also be in terms of things that we talked about, like number of hop varieties, number of different ingredients, just the sheer overwhelming amount of stuff you're adding to a batch. Remember that, one, you kind of need to learn your ingredients, uh, and two, always go soft at first, because you can always right. you can always add, but you can't subtract. So here's an example I just saw about an hour ago. A guy on Facebook was posting his recipe for an American pale ale that he wanted to make, asking people's opinions. He had pale malt. He had crystal, carapils, wheat, Munich, and something else, you know? And it's like the Munich. He had, you know, like four ounces of Munich, you know, and crystal. I mean, it's like, this is a person who needs to understand why he's using each ingredient and then think about if he really needs it. And that kind of approach can really help you uh, conquer the too much stuff syndrome. Yep. Too much of a good thing. All right. Yep. Now, sometimes you can have too much of a good thing. Sometimes you can have missing good things. <laughs> um, and I will tell you right now, nothing Nothing in the world will stop your brew day faster than not having the right tool at hand when you need it. Uh, I experienced this the other day when I was making those batches of beer for the festival. It was like looking around going, okay, dummy, where'd you put this? And had to hunt around and took like 15 minutes when it should have taken five seconds. Um, so this is something that I've suggested in the past. You should pre-game your, your brew day. And by pre-gaming, I don't mean go drinking a bunch of cheap beers so that you don't have to spend as much money at the bar. I mean, <laughs> walking through your brew day and going, okay, do I have all the bits and bobs that I need? Are all the bits and bobs here? Assemble as much stuff ahead of time as you can. Make it so that, you know, when you actually get ready to move, everything's there. Right? So the other thing I will say, and it goes back to making sure that your future self is happy, is make sure that once you are done, with something, yeah, put it back to the place where you're going to expect it to be. Now, this is very important because this is something people do all the time when they organize, which is, hey, I've got a better idea of where to put this. And so they put it someplace new. And maybe a better idea, but it's a terrible idea if you don't remember in three weeks, oh yeah, I put the scissors over here because that's a more more logical place to have them. Right. If, right. if your brain thinks the scissors should be there and instead they're there, it's not a good place. So put stuff back. I, uh, I'm sure many of us had fathers who probably beat that lesson into our heads in the, in the workshop or the tools. Put the tool back. So it's a good adage. Put the tools back to where you expect to find them. 
I will also say that one of the other big things that seems to always screw me up on a brew day is a tool has walked. It has walked out of the brewery. It has gone someplace else. I don't know. Maybe I put a ceiling fan up in the, in the dining room, or maybe I was doing something over here, or my wife needed a measuring tape or something like that. Whatever it is, the tool walks out of the brew house, and then I got to go hunt through my whole dang house to go find where it is. Yep. So an ancillary tip to this is get yourself a dedicated toolkit just for your brew day. Doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't have to be expensive. Cheapo little plastic toolbox. Cheapo little tools because they're not high-use tools. Right. You know, you're not going to be trying to build 50,000 engines with these things. You're going to try to be turning a worm clamp sometimes. Just, and you know, and they don't need to be extensive. I mean, I basically keep a spare screwdriver or two, a spare set of pliers, and uh, a couple, a couple I, I guess and, and a crescent wrench. Yeah, you know, and that pretty much handles everything I need to do. You know, so it's not going to be a big expense to go out and buy spare tools for your brewing, you know, and even if you brew in the house, even if you brew in your kitchen where all this other stuff is stored normally, you know, for household use, get yourself a little box just for brewing and keep all your brewing tools in there. Yeah. I mean, I think in my little tool bag or toolbox for the brew house, I've got three crescent wrenches, right? So one size for the gas tank, two size for dealing with kegs and various valves and knobs. I have a pair of scissors, Sharpie, and like some various little brewing related tools like a pipe cutter, which I haven't used in probably a decade and I probably can safely get rid of. (laughs) Yeah. It's very, very simple. None of that stuff has to be super expensive. Just have it there and keep it dedicated so that it doesn't go walking. You know, like I actually keep... Uh, you know, we light candles around the house or incense and that sort of stuff. And so one of the things I diehardly fight on is I keep a lighter in my toolbox and that lighter is only for the brewery. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's the way to do it. Yep. All right. And then from, <laughs> from missing stuff to stuff you really shouldn't do, this is, uh, you know, the times of seeing things melt where they should not melt. <laughs> and this came from a Facebook comment we put out there to people like, hey, you know, what sort of bad things have happened while you've been brewing? And this one just made me laugh when I when I read this it. This may be one of the most intense that I've ever heard about. Right. And one of our commenters had mentioned using a propane burner indoors, which is already a no-no, and we'll get into why. Uh, but also using a propane burner on a linoleum floor, which... If you stop and think about it for a half a second, you can probably predict just what happened. Because yeah. it turns out, just like, you know, everything has an equal and opposite reaction, propane burners may throw a lot of their heat up, but also when you got a, a pot on there, they throw a lot of heat down. Right. And so in this particular case for our listener, uh, unfortunately, they melted their linoleum floor. <laughs> and beyond just the expense of replacing that, it's also the... What should sound the alarm bells about how dangerous that was. That could have caught more than linoleum on fire. Yeah, and not to mention all the other issues. I mean, you know, when propane is burning, it gives off carbon monoxide. And that is not something you want to have in an enclosed space. And uh, before somebody says, well, I have a gas stove and I use it indoors – they have their own issues that we're not going to go into, and it's not a good analogy, so let's just say it right now. 
please, please, please never, never use a propane burner indoors. I would say about the most indoors that you'd ever want to go with a propane burner is running a propane burner at the edge of your garage with everything open. Right. And even then, sometimes I get a little woogie about that. Yeah, I'm, I've I've done that and it works, but that is, you know, about the biggest chance you want to take. Now, by the way, it's not just about the dangers of using something like propane. There are lots of other dangers involved. And I will give you a perfect example from my life of where I was a dummy and only saved myself from good grace of uh, realizing I was being a dummy before something bad happened. I have a mill, right? You need a drill to run a mill unless you have a motor. And I'm notoriously frugal. You can read that how you want. Um, <laughs> and I had an old Milwaukee electric drill, probably from like the 1980s. It was built like a tank, super powerful, no problems with this thing. It runs forever and a day. I still actually have it. It's just not in the brewery anymore because the other thing it had was a bad tendency to throw sparks. Ooh. Yeah. Now, I used that drill forever and a day because I didn't want to go buy a, a new electric drill that was going to be powerful enough to run a mill. Now, sparks in and of themselves are dangerous enough. Right? You get someone catches fabric, it can do gaboosh. Next thing you know, I have an ex-brewery. Um, but being in a brewery, and particularly running a mill with a sparking drill, is a doubly dumb idea. Oh, yeah. Because flower explosions. Mm -hmm. If you don't know flower explosions... Go look them up. They're wonderfully dramatic. There are people out there who do them on YouTube videos. Enjoy them via YouTube videos. Do not put yourself in a position to enjoy <laughs> one in person. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be one of those people. Yeah. And so, ultimately, thankfully, my brain kicked in before anything bad happened. And I replaced that drill with a new electric drill that will run the, the mill. Uh, by the way, does anybody else notice it's gotten really hard to buy a good quarter drill anymore? <sighs> Everybody wants an impact driver now. All right. Uh, but yeah, be be aware, watch your equipment. And, you know, it's not just propane that's dangerous in the brewery. If something particularly electrical has sparks flying out of it or frayed cords or uh, stretched plugs or anything like that, go and replace them. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's common sense. Don't be dumb. As afraid as it goes, if common sense were common, it wouldn't be that expensive. <laughs> um, all right. Now this is this is where Denny gets to shine because yeah. this is this is one of my favorites and we've told the story before but this is the mistake of forgetting something and Denny why don't you tell people or remind people about what you forgot Yeah I was uh, brewing a German pills one day everything was just going along totally great this was on my old uh, propane burner and uh, keg kettle system uh, outdoors in my garage with plenty of ventilation I might add um, so I got done with the brew, I got done chilling, and suddenly I turned around and saw all the bags with all my hop additions laid out neatly on the table waiting to go in that I had totally, totally spaced out. Every single one, I think three additions, something like that. So I spent a few seconds going, okay, what do I do here? Do I just like dump this out and call it a day or what and i realized well you know how about if i just try and bring the volume back up and start boiling and put the hops back in per schedule 
which is exactly what I did. I added a gallon or two of water to account for what I'd boiled off, started boiling again, did a whole 60-minute boil with the hop additions uh, in the places they should be, and it turned out to be a darn good beer. Well, now, see, you got lucky because you hadn't, you didn't have to worry about any other vegetation being in the kettle already. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true because I'd forgotten everything, you know. Uh, if I had uh, already gone ahead and gotten it into the fermenter or something, it, it might have been a different story. And it depends on what fermenter. I think I was probably still fermenting in buckets back in those days. So I might have just taken that bucket and dumped it back into the kettle and reboiled it. Uh, you know, oxidation be damned because, uh, you know, an oxidized uh, German pills is better than no German pills at all, maybe. Um, you know, so it, it kind of depends on what you forget and where in the process you are. But the point is that once you realize you've screwed up, that you remain calm, like Drew mentioned a little while ago, and think about if there's a way that you can recover. So, and a lot of times there will be. Yes, as uh, Dune once taught us, fear is the mind killer. <laughs> But no, I mean, like seriously, and one of the things that's funny is that you even did what what we suggest to people to you know do as your solution to forgetting things, which is to have everything laid out and staged. Oh yeah, man! I mean, they were on the table right next to the kettle, you know. Um, but that just proves that even if you take all those precautions, you can still be stupid. Yeah, I have a whole set of ramekins that I use. Like get everything all laid out, and and of course it gets a little bit easier now that we all have like applications that we use to to help remind us about some of the stuff. But it's still not entirely foolproof because we make better fools ourselves. Um, and <laughs> if you don't have an application that reminds you, and actually sometimes even if you do have an application that reminds you, because I'd still do this, um, there is absolutely nothing wrong in this world with printing out your recipe or writing it down like in a journal, like Denny does printing it out and using that as a checklist because look, checklists are good enough for pilots. They're good enough for surgeons. And if they're doing that, you can do one for your brew day. There's nothing heroic or manly about not using something to help you rem remember to do all this various additions. Yeah. And so speaking of things that you need to make sure that you don't forget, because we've also done this too. And I think everybody's done this. The problem of open valves <laughs> yeah um i think denny you said a, a, <laughs> there, there was a run was it last year like two uh, two or three brew sessions in a row where it was like oops the conical was open oh yeah 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 the the, uh, the valve on my conical would be open and uh you know i would see work pouring out of it or even once I, one time i guess just water even because i was getting ready to sanitize it first but you know, the best way to remember to close valves is to forget to close valves a few times. Well, and to that point, our recommendation here is always before you start flowing liquid or gas, because don't forget, gas also acts as liquid in this case. Before you start flowing a substance anywhere, use your finger. Trace the path it can take. Um, yes, you're going to feel like a dork. You might even look like a dork. But looking like a dork is better than having a shoe full of hot work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, which is not only unpleasant, it can be very, very dangerous, yeah. as our good friend Terry Ferendorf can tell you. 
Absolutely. So just, again, literally start from where your liquid's going to start and run your finger along the, the, the piping, the tubing, the whatever that you're going to use and trace its full course and make sure that everything is closed or is properly open as the case is needed. Uh, and then allow stuff to flow. You know, and kind of a corollary to this is uh, what a friend of mine did once. He was overbrewing for Big Brew Day, and uh, he was uh, getting ready to uh, get his yeast going, I guess, and uh, grabbed the jug that he thought was full of star sand and poured it out onto the ground, only to realize that was his yeast starter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that hurts. Yeah, fortunately, I had a bunch of dry yeast in the fridge. But yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, again, it goes back to paying attention. And yes, we had been drinking that day because it was big brew. Uh, but it goes back to paying attention and thinking about what you're about to do before you do it. Yeah. And by the way, I'll throw in an additional bit on here, which is not just about valves, because we tend to think of like, oh, you know, I'm going to have liquid flowing in here. If, like us, you use immersion chillers, right? Uh, remember, Immersion chillers can sometimes serve as reservoir of water that will then spit out the valves when you heat it up. Yep. So make sure whatever you do that uh, if you have an immersion chiller and you aren't 100% certain that it's empty, put some aluminum foil over the ends of those uh, chillers so that uh, any steaming hot water that comes spraying out of the immersion chiller doesn't hit you in the side. Or just make sure you have hoses hooked up to it so that uh, anything like that will be directed away from you. That too. Um, All right. So from open valves, we'll do it to cracked vessels. This has always been much more of a problem with glass than anything else. Uh, we know that glass is wonderful. It's impervious to chemicals. It's you know relatively easy to sanitize and clean and all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, glass also has a huge problem that causes that has a huge problem that's called it goes kaboosh and explodes <laughs> into many many shards that are dangerously sharp. Uh, so. First things first, our primary recommendation about glass is don't use it. Don't use it. Yeah, that's right. Um, if you're going to age something for a while, age it in a keg or some sort of steel vessel or, God forbid, go and get yourself a wooden barrel and have some fun that way. Um, but don't use glass if you can help it. If you must use glass, make sure that you keep your hands dry at all times and that you also use things like yoga mats to help soften the blow on a sort of concrete floor. A yoga mat is still not going to save the problem of dropping the carboy. I, I have uh, indoor-outdoor carpeting on my garage floor, and one of the uh, reasons I did that was I thought, well, I mean, it'll be good. It'll, it'll like uh, help protect carboys. I've broken two carboys by having them slip out of my hand about an inch above the floor on that indoor-outdoor carpeting and just shatter. And other than impact, the other thing I want to mention about carboys is never put hot liquids in them. They are not meant to do that. Um, I've had people say, well, I think I'm just going to like go right from the boil into the carboy and let it cool in there. It's like, don't do that. Don't, I mean, it'll, it'll cool faster than you expect because the carboy will shatter and you'll have wort all over the place. Yes. You'll have a rapid cooling and disassembly event. Yeah. And plastic can crack too. I had this happen just the other day. I have a a plastic half gallon pitcher that I had been using for probably 20 years or so for, you know, transferring wort, um, water, whatever. 
And the other day I was uh, pulling some wort out of my kettle to, uh, to mix in with some sugar because I like to liquefy the sugar before I add it to like a Belgian beer. And I dipped in there with this, uh, with this plastic pitcher and pulled it up out and I saw wort pouring out the bottom of the pitcher because, uh, after, after 20 years, uh, <laughs> it developed a crack in the bottom, had a, a natural hole in it. So, you know, this was a case where I should have like actually looked at what I was doing first, but because I'd been using that pitcher so often for so long, I assumed that, well, it would continue being like that. Things change, don't they? Yeah. Look at the drill example. That's right. And plus, uh, pitchers are uh, relatively cheap. I'll give you a great example of where carboys are dangerous, not just during the brew day, uh, and why guns and beer don't mix. Um, <laughs> oh, I want to hear this. Yeah, so a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away called North Hollywood, I had made a cream ale. Everybody shocked? No. All right, good. And I was getting it ready for fest, and I had lagered it. It was beautiful. It was crystal clear. It was fantastic. It was waiting. It was in a five-gallon uh, carboy because secondary. And I had pulled the carboy out of the chest freezer, ready to uh, you know set it up to do a transfer, get it into the keg, yada, yada, yada. Had it on the ground of my apartment floor, and... Got back, uh, I'd just gotten back from uh, the gun dealer. Yes, I, we're in the United States, this happens. I, I used to compete shooting. Um, and I'd just gotten myself a brand new, to me, Springfield 1903 A3 uh, bolt-action .30-06 uh, rifle from World War II. Because I'm a history junkie, right? I got it and I was doing a quick field strip on it just to double-check everything, make sure all the parts were there and nothing was... Uh, going to be too dangerous. Uh, and I set the bolt down on top of the chest freezer that the carboy was sitting under. And I assumed I'd put the handle side down to prevent it from rolling anywhere. You can see this coming, can't you? Oh, yeah. I could see it in slow motion. <laughs> um, and all I know is I'm uh, staring down the barrel, checking the throat and all that. And I hear this vzz, vzz sound that tells me metal is moving on metal. And I look down just in time to see the bolt roll off the edge of the chest freezer. And this is where it really does hit slow motion because I can just see it moving. I dive to try and get my hand under this bolt and I just barely nick the side of the bolt. It moves a little bit, but not enough. Smacks the, uh, the, the shoulder of the carboy, you know, the part where the carboy starts to turn down. Big old crack runs right through down all the way down to the bottom. Five gallons of beautifully lagered cream ale flooding out across my apartment carpet. Boys and girls. Guns and beer don't mix. <laughs> and glass carboys suck. Yeah. So Man. I, I feel like that's a very American story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> it's one that not everybody will be able to relate to. Yeah, exactly. Last one, or actually the last two, we're just going to cover a couple of quick yeast ones here. Uh, and particularly this one's timely because it is coming to summertime. Denny's in the middle of a heat wave. Uh, I am not. Uh, and the problem that we see a lot online is from people going, oh my God, I killed my yeast. Or in Denny's case, I bored my yeast down on the ground. First things first, be very careful about shipping yeast during the summer. Uh, liquid yeast, that is. Uh, be very careful about shipping liquid yeast during the summer. Make sure if you do, get the ice pack. It's cheap insurance. And also try your best to make sure that you're not letting your package sit over weekends on a, on a hot truck. Also, really, if, buy local if you can. Buy a local because they get it shipped to them cold. Uh, and, you know, basically, also don't worry about it. If your yeast is half cooked, 
right? You get, you get, and I've had this happen before. I've gotten packs of yeast and gone, oh, well, that's kind of toasty warm. Not quite hand warm or warm, but, you know, definitely not cool. Uh, remember that your yeast is hardier than you think it's going to be. Make a good vitality starter and you'll be pleasantly surprised most of the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it, it's not hard. It's fast and people don't realize it's not as difficult as they want to make it be. And following on to Denny's example of pouring your starter out on the ground, uh, this is also why we keep dry yeast on hand. Uh, in fact, <laughs> yeah, like where I'm standing at right now, I've got a, in my little chest freezer, I've got probably a couple packs of liquid yeast that I need to try and play around with. And I've probably got about 20 packs of dried yeast just because they hang out forever and are really good that way. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my homebrew shop just gave me about 20 packs of expired BRY97. And uh, it, it's not very expired. And as we all know, dry yeast will be good for years past the expiration date. So I'm a happy dude. I'm set for any kind of emergency. Uh, if I'm if I'm making a triple and my yeast doesn't work, it may not taste like a triple, but it'll be beer. There you go. Yeah, it, it, you can just say, this is my Belgian-inspired American blonde ale. <laughs> That's it, man. Good idea. Good idea. <laughs> um, all right. And the opposite yeast problem is that your yeast has exploded out of the top of your carboy or your fermentation vessel uh, because – I don't know. The, the time, every time I see the story, it seems to involve a Russian imperial stout. Um, because, you know, look, modern yeast health practices, like all that stuff we've preached about vitality starters, actually pitching starters, or, you know, pitching with adequate oxygenation, you know, all the stuff that we've done over the years to improve the way our yeast actually hits the, the vessel to start the ferment means that our ferments are way more vigorous than they would have been in the past, which means that they have a bad tendency to crawl the heck out of the top of the vessel. Oh, yeah. Um, I just uh, I just made my fourth batch of my Belgian IPA recipe, and on three of the four of them, I found the airlock halfway across the room after it shot out of the carboy. All right. So, if you don't want to have your airlock shot out of your carboy, um, this is where we go back to the recommendation of Open fermentation is fine and dandy. Put a piece of foil over the top of your fermenter and call it a day. Uh, just remember to pay attention for when fermentation slows down and then get it under under lock and key. Or if you're the sort of person who absolutely positively cannot stand the idea of open fermentation, make a blow-off tube. Save a ceiling. Yeah, that's right, man. And I know some people out there will also preach the idea of using uh, the little silicon... Uh, defoamer uh, agent. Um, I've never done that for fermentation. Have you? Uh, I I used to, but I haven't used foam cap. I can't. I mean, as a matter of fact, I one time bought a quart bottle of it, and about two weeks ago, I decided to finally get around to cleaning up my beer fridge and uh, found that whole quart bottle minus maybe about half a cup still in the back of my beer fridge and it had turned solid over the 10 years or so that I had it. <laughs> so, you know, that shows you how long it's been since I've used it. Uh, I, I just don't find it necessary even if it might help me. Definitely a thing. I've never done it for, for that purpose, but I do know there are some people out there who have done it. Um, just not my bag. So, all right. These were just a handful of things that can go wrong during a brew day. There are many, many, many more. And if you have one, you got to let us know so that we can talk about it some more because this is a fun topic. Because 
I will tell you right now, human beings learn no better than when they make a mistake. There's nothing like screwing up to have a great learning experience. Okay, with all of that said, thank you for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at a very, very small selection of the things that can go wrong during your brew day. There are a great deal more. What did we miss? What have you done? What has the universe inflicted upon you? Let us know. And what have you done to really lessen your chances of making these mistakes? You know, what have you learned by making mistakes? There we go. So remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, mistakes, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at ASP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum known to mankind. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year, and it's rapidly closing... It's called Best Friends. It's an organization that uh, moves pets from shelters where they might be euthanized and uh, gets them fostered, uh, moves them to other shelters, or gets them forever homes. Uh, a great organization doing great work. Uh, send us a couple bucks and we'll send it to them. After all, you know that we love our dogs. In fact, you've probably heard a couple of them, including my 18 and a half year old today. That's right. Probably, I think both of our dogs have been on today. All right. Until next time, remember to always brew wacky. Or brew experimentally. The brew is out there. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.